This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good morning. Good to see all of you here today. God bless you. Glad to have you. If you're a guest, you're welcome here. We'll begin. If you need a Bible, once you get your hand up real high, our ushers would gladly get you a Bible. Then turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Again, we're still on our series, Dominion, that in the kingdom of God, we've been given dominion right here on the earth. And so we'll highlight that in a minute. Again, I welcome you again today. I'm honored. Got to praise the Lord with you. Get to preach the word of God to you here in a minute. Then after the service, I'm going to marry Brian and Coranda. Where are you guys at? Right here. Raise your hand. Woohoo! They're going to get married. Yeah. Praise the Lord. So those are all good things. Those are things that I'm honored to be able to do. Well, I welcome all of you again. Just before I get started here, I've sensed this several times this morning, and this may be more than one of you that's a parent, but I sense some of you got a little anxiety about a child. And it just the Lord just really want me to emphasize this, that the seed of the Word of God that was sown in their hearts will not return void. So stand on that. I don't know who that's for, but just stand on that, okay, just to, just to settle you a little bit. Well, been gone a little bit, ready to get rolling again here again today. My prayer for you is today is that you don't leave here like you came. Bound, oppressed, tormented, sick, or lame. Again, because the Holy Spirit of Acts is still the same. So again, I, I want to highlight that with you. You don't leave here like you came. Now, as you're turning to Romans 5, what if I said this to you, that God's design for you in your life is that you reign on this earth. And the word reign means to rule. Well, the Bible's going to show you that this is God's desire for you is to reign in this thing called life. So we begin in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For if by one man's offense, his sin or his trespassed, death reigned through the one. Now, literally what that's talking about there is through the death that reigned through the one was through Adam. And because Adam's life was characterized by disobedience, me and you by birth, we inherited that. That's where that comes from, is from Adam. Keep reading. Much more, not a little bit more, but much more, those who receive the abundance of grace. Now, grace is God's ability, God's empowerment within you, that it's a gift. Again, you can say amazing grace, but I like this, what he said here, you who receive, you don't earn grace, you receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. Now, it's interesting, Apostle Paul called righteousness a gift. How do you receive a gift? You just reach out and take it. So when I say the word righteousness, righteousness literally means in right standing with God. So God's graced you. He's put you in right standing with him. Now look at this. You will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. You will rule in life through the one Jesus Christ. Now he doesn't say there's any other way you're going to rule. There's only one way and it's through Jesus and so when you get born again and you give your heart to Jesus, you become a person that's entitled to this through the blood of the Lamb. It's part of your inheritance. So as Adam's life was characterized by disobedience, Jesus' life was characterized by obedience. And the way I receive by Jesus is through faith. 
And so when I look at this passage, I can reign in this life through the one Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question right now. Are you reigning in life? Are you being reigned by life? Are you ruling or are you being ruled in life? So we're going to talk to you a little bit about that today because, again, we're on the series of dominion. Turn with me back to your right, way back in the back, to the book of James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Right, we'll keep hitting on this for just a couple more weeks. Again, next week's Father's Day, so we'll honor all the fathers. We'll switch up a little bit next week, but we'll continue on this series. James chapter 4. If you're studying along with me in the scriptures, I'm going to begin in verse 4. James 4, verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, exclamation point. Adulterers and adulteresses. Now, when you see that right there, with those two words, it literally defines some person that has broken their vows. Now, it's interesting that he uses this in this passage there. So I believe he's writing this to believers that at one time or another in their life, they had a covenant vow they made with the Lord Jesus, but they've broken it. Adulterers and adulteresses. Now look what he goes on to say. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God or an enemy to God? Now, when you see the word world there, it's literally defining the world system. And when I say that, the world's values, the world's mindset, the philosophies of men. But even more so when you see this, that the, the world system runs contrary to the will of God and the word of God. And so he said, this is a person at one time that had a covenant with God, but chose to break the covenant for friendship with the world. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And so when you look at that right there, he's literally telling this, that that's at the expense of obeying God. You would rather live by the world's standards than obey God. Verse five, or do you not think the scriptures, the word of God says in vain or no purpose or without reason, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. So when you study our relationship with Jesus, it's like a marriage covenant. Jesus is the groom and we're the bride. And it's interesting, it says here, that the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. In other words, he doesn't want to share us. Do you know one of the covenant names of Father God is he's a jealous God? And so when I look at this, and the wording in verse 4 and verse 5, it's like this in my marriage, that I get married to Shelley, and I make these covenant vows... And then after I make these covenant vows, I decide, you know what? I'm going to keep doing my own thing regardless of the covenant vows I made to her. I'm going to live however I want. Now, when you look at this in this sense, this is what he's talking about to us. We made these covenant vows to the Lord Jesus, but we say, you know what? I'm going to live however I want. But it says here that the spirit yearns jealously. So you know what you see right here? God's not into dating. God's into being married. 
Huge difference. Verse 6. But he gives more grace. Now this is the cure to all this. He gives more grace. Empowerment, ability. Therefore he says, God resists or he opposes the proud. You know what a proud person says? I can do this life without you, Father God. I can do it in my own abilities and my own power. But it's interesting, this is the only place in the Bible where you find out that God will resist a human being. And it's when we have the aroma or the aroma, the aroma of pride, of arrogance. He says he'll resist us. But he gives grace to the humble. You know what a humble person is? A person that lives in humiliation toward God. A person that bows low to Father God. A person that says, Father God, I got to have you. I got to have you every day in my life. And so when you see this right here, he gives more grace or he gives grace to the humble. When you see that statement right there, humility is a magnet to God. The more I'm humbled before God, the more he's attracted to me. Keep reading. Therefore, submit to God. Be subject to God. The Amplified says, so be subject to God. Live in obedience to him. Be subject to God. Be submitted to God. And I'm highlighting that before I go on with the rest of the verse. Because if I don't obey this first part of this verse, to be submitted to God, and the way I'm submitted to God is in my obedience to God. Do I obey God? But if I'm not submitted to God, the rest of this verse won't work for you. It won't go into action for you. So he says, therefore, submit to God, resist the devil. The word resist means to stand firm against, to confront. And again, it says, resist the devil. If I'm submitted to God, there must be a grace upon me that gives me the ability to resist the devil. And if you'll note there, it says resist the devil. It doesn't say resist your mother-in-law. Sorry to break some of your hearts. Actually, it doesn't say to resist any other human being. It says resist the devil and look at the end part there. And he will flee. The word flee literally means to run in terror from you. So when you look at what he's talking about, I'm the one that must be submitted to God. But because I'm submitted to God, I'm the one that will resist the devil and he will flee from me. Nowhere in this passage do you see, call out to God and he'll resist the devil for you. No, he's given us dominion and we can go back into the Bible in Genesis 1. Remember God said that to Adam, he said, I give you dominion over everything that creeps on this earth. Now remember in, in Genesis 3, when the devil shows up in the garden, God didn't interfere. God didn't step in and say, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. No, God stepped back 
and allow the devil to move in that situation. Why? God had given dominion to the man Adam, and Adam didn't walk in his dominion. And even in the New Testament, we've been given dominion. Where do we find that? That's Luke 10, 17, 18, 19, and 20. We were there a few minutes, weeks ago. Remember in Luke 10, 17, it said, and the seven to return, and they said to the Lord, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said in verse 19, he says, and I give you power to tread upon serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. So again, when you begin to see this right here, I couldn't resist the devil unless I had the power and ability to do that. Where does that come from? The name of Jesus, but also I got to be submitted to God. Now look at verse 8. Draw near to God. What an invitation. And he will draw near to you. Now it's almost like to me this is a game of checkers. You know what God's saying? You get the first move. And when you choose to draw near to me or you choose to pursue me, then I'll draw near to you and I'll pursue you. Let me ask you today. Are you hungry for more of God? Or are you just satisfied? And I always want more of God. I need more of God. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Now watch this. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. How do I cleanse my hands? I come under the blood of Jesus and I ask Jesus to cleanse me and wash me. How does that take place? I must repent of my sins. He says in 1 John 1, 9, if you'll confess your sin, he's faithful and just to not only forgive you, but he said, I'll cleanse you. And so the way a sinner's hands are clean is I gotta come before God and I gotta confess my sin. And this was his desire here. He said, cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify your hearts. Allow to God to come in and change my heart. And the way that takes place is I get born again. I ask Jesus to come in. And look how he ends this verse and says, you double-minded. You know what a double-minded man is or a double-minded person is? It's a person who, who tries to hold on to the things of God at the same time with the world. I, I vacillate. I, I, I come before God on Sunday. I'm a saint on Sunday, and I'm a sinner on Monday. And so I go back and forth. I'm in this thing called a conflict. And guess which one wins? The one I feed the most. The one I hang around with the most. And so this was God's desire right here is that we come back to him. We stay with him. Now, turn with me just a couple pages back to your left. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. See, again, God's not into divided loyalty. So I can even go back to what I talked about there in James 4. Man, I, I got a covenant with him. God wants to do life with every one of us, but it's not to be hit and miss. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Now, we've been in this passage, so we'll begin again. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so great a cloud of witnesses, plural. Who, who is this cloud of witnesses? They're all the pioneers of faith. They're the veterans of faith that are in heaven. Actually, it's many of your family members that have died and gone to heaven. And you know what they're doing? 
They're cheering you on. They're cheering you on. So he goes on to say, let us lay aside every weight. And when we talk about weights, these are things that try to hinder your progress toward living for God. And we talked about some of those weights a few weeks ago. The first weight, and I believe it's one of the most significant ones of, of all of them, is the root of bitterness or unforgiveness. That's Hebrews 12, 15 is where that's at. And he says, if that root of bitterness springs up within you, it defiles many. And so again, that's a weight. What are other areas of weights? I think in our society, some of the greatest weights are one, a thing called busy. If I was to ask many of you, how are you today? You know what you'd say? I'm busy. Most people answer this. I'm either busy or I'm tired. Well, what are you busy from? Well, I work. I play. I play hard. And so again, those can become weights. Those become hindrances. But some of the other things are the deceitful riches, the desires for other things that enter in and they choke the things of God out. So again, am, am I weighted down with the things of this world? But look at the last thing he says. And the sin. And the sin which so easily ensnares us which so easily entangles us. Now I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna highlight this because this is the big thing this morning that I believe one of the reasons we don't operate in the dominion that we have in the name of Jesus is oftentimes because sin that's got a hold of us in a habitual way. We're coming back to that. Keep reading this with me here with me. And the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance. It's interesting that he says, let us run, but he says the only virtue that's highlighted with endurance. So what does the word endurance say to you? You know what the word endurance says to me? Day by day by day by day. I'm gonna have to stay with it day by day by day. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint or a dash. It's day by day. And so I love to think this, God graced me with endurance. Grace me to serve you day after day. And so when you pray that, guess what you're really asking God for? Rigid self-discipline. And say, man, Father God, I want to hang out with you. So he says, with endurance, the race that's set before us. You know, every one of us in this room are in a race. Every one of us. Verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the word looking means to give my undivided attention to Jesus, the author, the originator, and the finisher, or the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the cross. Jesus literally ran the race that was before him with endurance, but he came to a place called the end, death, through the cross. He endured the cross. Now, oftentimes when we talk about the cross, we try to water it down. We try to act like the cross isn't a big thing. The cross, there was a huge price that was paid there. Huge price for every one of us. You know, I, I don't see Caroline Petrus here today. 
Uh, many of you would know Carolyn. She usually sits right, right here in this section. She's gray-headed. She's 85. Uh, two weeks ago, I had an appointment to go to her house to meet her. And I knew what the appointment was about. The appointment was about for me to go over there and discuss her funeral. I don't know if you've ever done that, where you showed up at someone's house and said, so tell me what you want me to do when you die. But it wasn't a sad deal. It was an incredible, joyful deal that this was a woman who had run the race with endurance, and she knows her time on this earth is growing to an end rapidly. Rapidly. I encourage you, the next time you're here in the second service, and she's here, get around her. Let her lay her hands on you. There's incredible wisdom within her. And so when I speak with her, this is usually my response. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. And so we're discussing her funeral, and she's probably watching me live streaming right now. And she said at my funeral, don't water down salvation. She said, don't water down the cross. Because she said, in America right now, we have a group of ministers that they want to encourage people that all you have to do is walk this aisle, say a one-time prayer, a little confession, and you're in. You can live however you want the rest of your life. And she pointed at me and she said, and you know that's not true. And I said, yes, ma'am. Don't water down the cross. And so when it says that Jesus endured the cross, he endured the cross to a place called obedience that said, I'm going to obey God till the end. And look what he goes on to say here. Despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know when you sit down? When the job is finished. Jesus finished it for me and you. He died for every one of us. Now, I want to get back here to this thing called sin. Remember, he said the sin which so easily entangles us. It entraps us. You know, there's a lot of churches right now that have this thought. We don't talk about sin in the church. We don't want to make people feel bad about themselves. Well, I'm not trying to make you feel bad about yourself. The problem is we're all sinners. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In, in Romans 6, 23, it says the wage of sin is death. Now, I know this isn't a real popular thing to speak on, but I want to make it very clear what the scriptures say. The recompense of sin is death. And so sin has stages. Sin starts out, and, and it's easy it's pleasing, it becomes frequent, then I do it more and more until it becomes habitual. And when it becomes habitual, when sin no longer bothers you, the end result is death or destruction. For any one of us in this room, now I'm gonna quote a couple verses for you, okay? Isaiah 59, verse one, says, because of your sin, it separated you from God. 
It's isolated you from God. So in that verse right there, it tells me that because of my choice to sin, it severed my connection to God. In Isaiah 59 verse 2, it says, because of your sin, the Lord doesn't hear you. So because of my sin, I can pray all day long, but it says, he's not going to hear you. He's not going to hear you. Genesis 4, verse 7, there was a man named Cain who was doing wrong. And God said to Cain, he said, Cain, if you do what's right, your right will take care of your wrong. But he said, if you don't, sin lies at the door. It crouches at the door. It's waiting to pounce on you. It's waiting to master you. It's waiting to control you. And so I really believe when I see all these things that when we go back here to to Hebrews 12, verse 1, he says that because I'm so entangled with sin, would that cut off the things of the dominion I have? Absolutely. Now, go with me to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, as you're turning to 1 Corinthians 6, The definition of sin means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. What mark? God's mark. God sets the standards for sin. Man does it. When man starts trying to define sin, that's when man gets in trouble. Again, let the B-I-B-L-E define sin for us, okay? Verse Corinthians 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Question mark. The ones that aren't in right standing with God will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's the thought in our society. We have a thought that everybody goes to heaven. Well, these next few minutes here, I believe the Bible will show that differently. That there is a place called hell in its reality. He goes on to say this. Do not be deceived. Do not be misled. I like to say it this way. Don't think you're exempt. Now get ready. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, that's abusive language, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Period. Quite a list. Verse 11. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. Now you know what I get to do? I get to go back to that previous verse and look at that catalog of all the description of sin and I look at that and say, yep, I've been there. I've been there. I've been a fornicator. I've been a drunkard. And so it's not always pleasant to go there, but he says, and such were some of you. So literally, he's calling us to live according to who we are. If I'm born again, then live like you're born again. If I want to be part of the world, 
then live the rest of this, but you can't adjust the consequences of your sin. You can live however you want, but don't think I can adjust this. And such were some of you. Now watch this. Woo, this is the truth that'll bless you right here. But you were washed. You know what that word wash means? You were cleansed for sin. Oh, happy day. Some of you should have done a cartwheel. Oh, happy, happy, happy day. If I had my sin letter jacket on, you guys would have said, dang, he lettered for a lot of years in sin, yeah? But I've been washed by the blood of Jesus. I've been washed. And you were sanctified. The word sanctified there means you were set apart for God. God has plans for you. And the plans that God has you are good and to give you a future. And you were justified. You were totally accepted by God. How? Now watch this. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit or the Holy Spirit of our God. So when you receive Jesus as Lord of your life and you repent of your sin, Jesus comes in, he washes you. He sets you apart. He says, you've been sanctified. And then he justifies you. And he puts a robe of righteousness on you. And according to 2 Corinthians 5, he said, you are the righteousness of, th- uh, of Christ. You are the righteousness of God through Christ. I've been qualified righteous because of Jesus. I've been put in right standing because of Jesus. Doesn't matter who you are. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So as you're turning there. Romans 6, 14 says, sin shall not have dominion over you. Sin shall not have dominion over you. Let me ask you something. How many of you have ever been dominated by sin? I can raise my hand. I've been dominated by sin. But he says, sin shall not have dominion over you. Well, how does that work? Ooh, I gave my heart to Jesus and I stayed under the blood and I keep, I keep reading the word. I keep repenting. You know, you know what it is for me as, as a, 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 a sinner? I'm born again. Does that mean I've quit sinning? I wish I could tell you I don't sin anymore. I just sin less and less and less. And as a born again Christian, before I gave my heart to Jesus, it used to didn't bother me to sin. You know what good sinners do? They sin. But now that I've given my heart to Jesus, if I blow it in an area, man, it it tears me up. And so you know what that tearing up is? I go to him and I repent and I say, Father God, I confess this to you. Wash me, cleanse me, grace me to be a man of God. Grace me to be godly in an ungodly world. There's a couple of you happy. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 19. And again, do you think that we excuse or defend ourselves to you? We speak before God in Christ. When that statement right there is made, it cross-references and says, we speak the truth in Christ. But we do all things, beloved, for your edification, to build you up, not to tear you down. I don't preach on sin to tear you down. I preach on sin to move you up to say, God's got more for us. I don't have to be dominated by that junk. Verse 20, for I fear, 
Lest when I come, I shall not find you such as I wish, that I shall be found by you such as you do not wish. Lest there be contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults. Lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you. Now watch this. And this is the phrases that really got my attention. And I shall mourn for many who have sinned. I shall mourn for many who have sinned. What, what does the word mourn say to you? When I hear the word mourn, I usually mourn over someone's death. And the apostle Paul said, I will mourn for many. Who, who are the many? Who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanliness, the fornication, the lewdness which they have practiced. So literally he was saying, I mourn for people who haven't repented of their sins and they're unwilling to abandon their ungodly behavior. So when I look at this passage here, and I said, Father God, grace me. Grace me to be a man of repentance. Grace me to live for you, Father God. Grace me to run this race with endurance. Now I could take you to Matthew or Mark chapter nine. I'm not going to. I could take you to Mark chapter nine, verses 43 through 48. And it says, and this was the Lord Jesus. This was the red letters. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. And after every one of those points he made, he said, if you don't, it's where the worm never leaves and the fire is never quenched. That was Jesus' words. And so was Jesus literally telling me to pluck my eyeball out, to cut off my hand, to cut off my feet? No. I believe he was telling us, cut off the opportunity to sin. Cut it off. Cut it off. And so back in my days of alcohol, you know what I had to cut off? I, I couldn't get near a package store. I couldn't get near people that were drinking because you know what? I knew if I did, you know what I'd be doing? And so I had to cut off friendships. I had to cut off certain things. And I began to say, Father God, you got to grace me. You got to grace. I need your ability. I need your strength. I've been there before where it would get so intense with me that the only thing I could say is, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, help me. Help me, Lord Jesus. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.